Seahawks fans wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstad, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hello and welcome into the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstad, and I am here each week with 12th Man Rising editor and chief writer, I guess you would call yourself, Keith Myers. How are you doing, Keith? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks. So this is our very first podcast, and uh, why don't you kind of take us through for just a second how we got to this point, why we did it. Well, just looked at uh, all the different uh, Seahawk podcasts which are out there and and just felt like there was uh, something missing, something that we could add, that we could um, do well and uh, hopefully provide a service for the Seahawks fans that are looking for more information. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we talked about this a little bit last year and we just kind of hit each other uh, up uh, on the idea just a little late. And so we kind of put it off for this year, and uh, I'm glad that we're doing it because I, th- I agree. I think that uh, we've got a ability to uh, dig deep on some uh, Seahawk-related stories. Uh, this is a Seahawks-focused podcast, and um, we hope we have fun and hope uh, the listeners enjoy as well. And, and part of the show format is basically we're going to uh, talk about the Week in Review uh, every week, uh, each week on, I believe Fridays, we're going to publish a new episode. That's one of the things that we'd like, uh, to be able to set ourselves apart for the other shows is our consistency. And we want to be there every week for you. And then, uh, we will deep dive, uh, typically into a featured segment. Um, this week we are doing a team overview. And, uh, at the end of that, we will do typically a, a player spotlight or some other feature uh, that's a little less time. We'll dip into our Seahawks mailbag. We'll ask for questions on Twitter. And by the way, uh, you can follow uh, me, Bill Alvstead, at NWSeahawk and Keith Myers at Myers NFL. And then uh, we'll kind of review the, the coming weeks and uh, we'll have you look for our show every week. So let's go forward, Keith. What do we got today? Well, today, what I wanted to do is to have us go into kind of an overview of where the team is now, uh, what they looked like in, in 2016, and it kind of set us up for the offseason. So let's just go ahead and start with the offense. Um, the offense was not the strength of the team uh, this last season. That's I think that's pretty pretty obvious. Uh, and when you start to look at why, you know, the offensive line stands out, and it's a it's a problem that the Seahawks have been kind of creating on their own as a way to manage their, their salary cap, but it really finally bit them hard uh, for the first time in 2016. And so the question that comes as a team, do they adjust that uh, strategy or do they wait it out and uh, see if it can rebound and, and, work for them in the future. What do you think? So, well, let me ask you this. Was it historically bad or was it league average bad? How how bad was it, Keith? 
it was historic. I mean let's let's be realistic. I mean let's let's not let's make sure that we don't, you know, throw every lineman under the bus. I mean we had some some situations where we had linemen that were literally hadn't even played football before for the most part in Fant. We had guy then Gilliam that they assumed was going to step up a little bit and he struggled throughout the year. But we also had Britt that came up and stepped up his game to everyone's surprise. And Afedi's a brand new uh, pick, and you know, so there was a lot of integration going on there that was really challenging for any team. Yeah, there was a lot of turnover, and that when we went into this season, we kind of knew that it was going to be bad early, and it was. But the well, talk talk to me initially about what we initially tried to do to solve the problem. I mean, through free agency. Well, okay, so. The team realized that they they probably could have afforded Okung, but that he wasn't worth what he was asking in Seattle. He ended up getting sig- significantly less in in Denver, but he was asking for a lot more than that when he was before he he left in free agency, and they, and the same was true with um, Sweezy. And so with both guys, they looked at him and they go, "They're they're not bad players, um, but they're not great players. But they're going to get paid like." at least above average players are good players. And so they, they saw that discrepancy of what they were going to get paid and what value they offered. And they go, we don't want to spend that extra money for them. And they let them walk. And it was a big risk because those were the two best offensive linemen the year before. As average as they were. Yes. I mean, Okung was slightly better than average, but you factor in his injury history mm-hmm. and you know, that's tough yep. to, to spend money on that. And so you end up with a situation where, uh, so they, they lost their two best linemen, even though they, they weren't great. This, we're not talking pro bowlers anymore. Um, but they, so we lost them and they needed to replace them. And one of the guys that they, they really sought after and wanted was Alex Mack. He was going to play center and they didn't get him. He went to, uh, the Falcons instead. And that left them with a hole and they basically just tried to put band-aids on it and, fix it. And, uh, Jamarcus Webb was terrible. It was a terrible signing, uh, not just because he was terrible on the field, but because they fully guaranteed his contract. Uh, they went out and got, uh, Jari Evans. And then for some reason that we're still trying to get an answer on, uh, Tom Cable just never gave him a shot. Just never put him with the starters. He was, you know, with the second, they tried to play him out of position. Yeah. And they tried to play him on the left side and, and then they cut him before they ever really gave him a chance to show what he could do. And he went back to New Orleans and played very, very well. Uh, so right. that was kind of a mistake. And then they grabbed uh, Bradley Soule, who is supposed to be a, a backup tackle, a swing tackle, uh, someone who just can play both sides, be active, but you know only play if there's an injury. And somehow he ended up as the starting left <laughs> tackle in week one. And that went, tell you, that went tell terribly you what, as well. I'm not a football expert, but my eyes told me. <laughs> that those guys had no right being starting caliber uh, yep. linemen in the NFL. And we just so happened to have two of them. Mm-hmm. And a, a big part of the reason why this, this whole thing fell apart was that the team was counting on Gary Gilliam, who was a uh, a league average right tackle the year before, to improve uh, enough that he could be a league average left tackle. And it didn't happen. He got hurt. Uh, in training camp, he had knee surgery. 
he never got really a chance to adapt. They moved yeah, him back. I forgot about that. I think Pink Carroll mentioned that at the end of the season. He yeah. was kind of going over players and mentioned that he had battled through mm-hmm. some uh, post-surgery uh, uh, recovery period and then some in-season nicks and cuts and scrapes and bruises and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, so with that, with his, his knee injury, they moved him back to the right side, so they were like, okay, let's keep him comfortable and, you know, this is this was a position he knew last year since he was going to miss all that practice time. Uh, but even with that, he took a step backwards. Instead of taking a step forward, which is what they had counted on, he took a step backwards. And it really wasn't until he got benched and then came back after a couple of weeks of, of being benched that he finally played at the level that he did the year before. And was that a, was that? necessarily because he actually improved or was it because our competition in those particular weeks was giving him a break? That is a good question. I think that it's actually him. He improved. He was uh, just playing with a little bit more intensity, a little more, uh, so it's just a mindset. Yeah, it really is. I mean, he's not the, he's not a guy like, um, uh, Breno, uh, Giacomini who is just, or even uh, Effetti, who just has that mentality that he, want, brute. he wants to kill you on every play. He's more of a technician. He's uh, more soft-spoken. He's a nicer guy. And I think he allowed too much of that to seep into his play in the beginning part of the year. You know, as much as you, you want to knock Giacomici on his uh, penalties and all that kind of stuff, boy, when you don't have that on an offensive line, you you miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was never. Uh, well, I don't want to say never because I was actually kind of that that first off season when he had taken over in in 2011 for uh, James Carpenter and looked pretty good. I was kind of pushing like, hey, this is a guy they need to re-sign and keep. And then after that, he never imp- he didn't really ever improve. Right. He just kind of stayed in that. So I, so I went from being one of his supporters to being sure. one of his critics, but. Uh, for everything that he did poorly, there was enough that he did right that you could work with it. And the Seahawks were smart, and they stuck Zach Miller uh, next to him on passing downs, right. and it made they made it work. And so that that brings me to where Gilliam's got coming into this season, and can they give him any help on the outside edge? I think they can. I mean, that's why they they drafted uh, Nick Vanette was to give them a guy at tight end who can block because they haven't had that. Um, Luke Wilson is a guy who they like in space in blocking. So you see him do those slice blocks back behind the line to pick up uh, the backside and that kind of stuff. But he's not a good straight ahead blocker in the running game. And he's not particularly good in, you know, uh, in helping out and pass. And then Jimmy Graham can't block to save his life. So, so we'll probably get to the tight end group, you know, in a little bit. But mm-hmm. let's let's talk about Vanette while we're talking about him. Why did he not come along as fast as some fans would hope, given his uh, draft pick status and the hype before the season started that uh, he was the answer to our to our blocking problems on the outside? Well, the problem there is it's again it's a it's a training camp injury and. He missed considerable time uh, in training camp in the first few weeks. Uh, so he he came back. Uh, I think, it was but he week- was a healthy scratch. At, you know, at the end of the season for the last three or four games. True, but we're also talking about a rookie in a zone blocking scheme. And so when 
the role they wanted from him. I mean, when when you have uh, Graham and Wilson, they're gonna they're gonna be the guys that you uh, feed the ball to in the passing game. What they really wanted from Vanette last year was his blocking skills, and with their zone blocking uh, scheme, just getting things targeted right, knowing who to block on which play and when to hand off um, a defender to someone else and all of that. It's, it's complicated and it takes a lot of work. And, uh, Vanette missed a lot of time when he was going to work on that. And by the time he came back, uh, from his injury, he played for a few weeks. He played all right. But I think there are also times when he looked a little overwhelmed and just not knowing what to do. And so when they had other options, they went with the other options and gotcha. so what we're going to see is we're going to have him, uh, this, he's, he's going to get a full off season work. He's going to get a training camp this year. He's going to be able to have watched his own film from last year. I, I, I think we're going to see him in the role that we expected last year and actually a, a, an expanded role, uh, in this coming season. Perfect. So with Gilliam, you know, what are the, what a, uh, percentage chance do you have on him being the starter at right tackle again for the Seahawks this year? considering the free agency and the draft to come. Well, I don't think they're going to go. I actually don't think they'll, they'll be drafting a starter, like a, a first or second round pick at, at tackle, no matter how much they need it. I just don't see it happening. Uh, free agency is, is the question. And uh, Gilliam is actually a free agent. He's a restricted free agent. So the chances of him leaving are slim as long as the Seahawks want him. Uh, so they'll tender him to a, yeah, probably a minimum I would think I, there's no reason to tender him for anything more than probably the minimum. Yeah. Given his performance, the, um, the level three, uh, tender, which is the, um, basically it's, it's just a right of first refusal tender. Uh, if, so if, no draft pack, comp, no draft pick compensation. No, it, he wasn't, he wasn't drafted. He was a, um, undrafted free gotcha. agent. So, gotcha, gotcha, so gotcha. there, so there wouldn't be, but what it does is if some team comes along and says, Hey, we want you for, you know, three years at, uh, you know, one and a half million a year, the Seahawks can look at that and go, mm, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll pay you that and, and match the contract and keep him. Uh, if it's more than that, if it's like two, yeah, well, that's a, that's about what the tender is, right? Yeah. yeah except except for the, the tender is one year. Um, gotcha. so, so it would be longer if, if someone comes along and offers him 4 million a year, uh, the Seahawks will wave goodbye and, so, um, and laugh and <laughs> move on. So you would look, else. you would look then for Pete Carroll to bring and, and John Schneider to bring in competition mm-hmm. along the line. You just don't know exactly what level that competition is going to be. Yeah, I really don't. So given Pete Carroll's statements, I mean, let me read you. A quote on uh, Pete Carroll with regards to free agency spending. Um, That's not how we think in regards to spending money, more money on the offensive line in the offseason. Like, okay, let's take money and put it here. And all of a sudden, you're going to be better, he said. You get to have the guys play and be worth it. And when they demonstrate that, they get paid. We've shown that we understand that and we're committed to that mentality. I don't think you can just buy your way into it. We're going, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go out and spend a ton of money on free agency on one guy and try to save the day. That's not how we function at all. See, and he's got a very good point there in, if you look at what the CX have done uh, for the most part, I mean, Zach Miller, Sidney Rice, 
Robert Gallery, you know, those guys were a little bit different because at the time the Seahawks had nothing um, on the the roster. Well, so they, you they could even make guys. the same argument for Bennett and and Averill. Yeah, but those I mean, guys those guys were free agency guys. They were free agency guys, but they came late in free agency. The market had dried up. Bennett came on a one year deal, which um, was an amazing deal. Both of those guys. Amazing. Yeah, I think Avril came on a two year deal, but they were both uh, really cheap contracts for the skill set. I mean, basically they waited it out and and picked up guys after the market had dried up, and that's the type of thing that I think when the Seahawks uh, sign free agents, they either do that. Or they find guys that are um, c- that are willing to come in on a one-year prove-it deal. You know, hey, this was a good player, but they spent a year. You know, they they um, tore up their knee a year or two years ago and and didn't sure. really play much last year. Let's give them a one-year deal. Let them come in and prove their value now that they're healthy. Ruben did that. Mm-hmm. It seems to work better on the off on the defense to do that than the offense. It doesn't seem like we've been doing that very much. Maybe uh, save a few players here and there, but so I think everything the Seahawks do works better on defense. So seemingly, yeah, seemingly. But you know what? The offense is actually pretty good. So let's let's talk about going across the line, right to left. So so Afedi, what are your thoughts on Afedi going forward? I know what they are from 2016. (laughs) <laughs> you've you've not been shy on letting us know how no how, uh, you feel about him. If Eddie was he was genuinely bad uh, last season, and I think there was a there was a lot of initial hype early because when we first saw him uh, in training camp in the first couple preseason games, we were like, okay, this kid this kid can play. And you know, then there was uh, the injury at the start of the year, which is how Jamarcus Webb was a week one starter, and that went poorly. Uh, right. There was a, there was a lot of this um, anticipation for Effetti, and then what happened was he came in and he played all right. Um, he's, he's a rookie, and you know the zone blocking and all of that. It's going to be hard, and he, and he played all right. And then anyone who plays all right, you're like, as a rookie in that situation, you're like, okay, this kid's going to be good. And then what happened as the season went along is that he regressed a little bit. Do every you think week. it's do you think it's a, a factor of just him being just overloaded with information and just thinking too much? I think that's some of it. And I think part of it is when you start to look at some of the quotes uh, of the different players and the guys, um, he, like most rookies that come into the NFL, was reluctant to listen to the experienced players. He was like, okay, I, I belong here. I know this. I don't, don't need you, uh, you know, trying to tell me what it is. And it, I think that was part of it too, is there was information that he could have gotten and could have used, uh, and he didn't, he wasn't really receptive to that. And that, uh, just listening to Pete Carroll, it's fairly common. And what happens is it's year two when they really start to, to, um, to get in and and being more willing to listen to the, um, to the vets. And that's like the same thing that they were talking about with Frank Clark did that, did that same thing. And they were talking about John Reed was, uh, in that rookie phase this year. So, uh, so, and, and so so going forward, where do you, where do you see him? It's hard because I know that the team, when they first drafted him, they're like, okay, this is our right tackle of the future. And that lasted 24 hours. And then he got moved to guard. And part of the reason they moved him to guard was because Tom Cable was insistent that Jamarcus Webb was going to be the right tackle. Um, And that obviously didn't work out. But 
And then it was too late to change. And then it was too, it was, yeah, I mean, it was too late to, too late to change once they got into training camp or whatever. Cause with, with a guy, with the, when you got a rookie in the zone blocking, it's just so hard to get them targeted correctly, uh, in the running game and all of that. So they, they really wanted him to sit on a position and, and, and work with it. Uh, so he played guard and that's fine. Uh, he, guard actually fits his skill set better than tackle because he. What about, what about his length and, and just size and lateral movement? His, I mean, he was kind of, you know, as as much as you, he's kind of written off as a little slow footed. He's he is, you know, on the athletic side as tackles go. He is. He's he's huge. He's really long. Um, he's athletic, but he's athletic in ways that don't necessarily translate to being an offensive tackle. Which is why I think that being a guard is uh it's his best position because he is he just doesn't move laterally particularly quickly. And that got him into some trouble in pass blocking uh this year, even on the inside, uh where he you know, he would get a, a swim move from a defensive tackle and just be unable to move himself uh, right or left into uh, the gap and and prevent the uh, the pass rusher from getting through, and it's just part of who he is. You put him on the outside, and now he's dealing with speed rushers trying to go around the edge. And I think the slow feet are going to they're going to prevent him from ever developing into an elite uh, tackle. But I think he can make some adjustments at guard and become a very good player. So I think that's where his future lies. Do the Seahawks good. see it that way? I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll I, I was going to ask you, what are the chances of him kicking outside and maybe the Seahawks picking up somebody in the draft? The Or a free agency both in, pe- as a, at the guard position. It seems like it's easier to get a guard than it's much a easier. It's much easier to get a guard. Um, Pete Carroll and uh, Tom Cable have both said that Afedi's staying at guard. Uh, what does that mean? Nothing whatsoever. Because both of right. them said that he was going to be the right tackle. And then they changed their mind twenty four hours later. It really draft, depends so. on it. Really depends on how the free agency into the draft goes. Yeah, it does. And so, so we'll we'll know more in in May. Mm-hmm. It, and it's one of those things where he, the ability for him to move gives the team some uh, flexibility because if they can get a if they can get a, a, a tackle in free agency like a, a mid level guy, uh, maybe Riley Reef doesn't get the free agent market that he expects, and they can get him. You know, in town, in the same way they they did Bennett and Averill, uh, the Seahawks would love that he becomes the right tackle if Fetty stays at right guard. If they can't get a guy like that, maybe they get uh, whoever this year's version of Jari Evans is uh, in to come in and play right guard, and they kick Fetty out. So that flexibility gives them. What do you think okay. about the the development of Odiambo? You know, we really didn't see enough of him. Uh, at the start of the year, he was still dealing with kind of the lingering injuries that he'd had in college, and it wasn't until midseason that he was where he looked quick, um, and we really didn't get a chance to see enough of him. When he played tackle, I thought he looked pretty good. I think uh, he did. When he played guard, I thought he looked the opposite of that. So, so. The, the exciting thing about the offseason is you've got Fant, Odiambo, you've got Effetti, all three of those guys are going to spend their very first full off season in in the Seahawks organization, and I think that's really going to pay dividends. I hope. I hope too. Um, 
you also got to remember that the Seahawks expected Gilliam to make that step forward last year and got burned when he didn't. Uh, so going into an offseason saying, we're going just going to expect all these guys to take that step forward sets themselves well, up to get burned. Pete Carroll has essentially doesn't. said that. I know they have. Uh, but I, I and, do you know, you can't tie yourself to Gilliam. I mean, you can't say that most players do take a step forward. They do. Some take bigger steps forward than others. Right. And, and speaking of bigger steps, let's talk about Justin Britt. Yeah, that's a – Britt was a below-average tackle. He was a terrible – one of the worst guards in the league. And then they moved him from guard, which – He used to just playing whiff oh, on he was, blocks. He was terrible. And then they moved him to center. Center is probably – not even probably. It is a more difficult position to play than guard. Um and he went from being – he was a terrible, terrible guard, and he was a Pro Bowl alternate center. I mean, he was genuinely an above-average player. So this is a former, I think, number uh, in the uh, two second-round pick. Yes. He came uh, into the Seahawks, had high expectations, probably come right in and plug him right into a guard position on the line, and he would do well. That was a, that was a big mistake because it he just wasn't ready. Yeah, they he just they, wasn't ready. They brought him in um, to play tackle, and he was he wasn't terrible at tackle. I know he made a lot of mistakes, but he was again he's, he was a rookie starting on a team that went to the Super Bowl. Um, he made plenty of mistakes, but he also showed that he is um, much like a Fetty, kind of slow footed, kind of a uh, lumbering laterally. So he he struggled to get outside against uh, speed rushers and that was kind of his thing and that's kind of the type of player that Tom Cable seems to love in draft um, but they when they moved they moved him inside which is where he fits and part of it was that he spent the whole offseason and the first uh, part of training camp and even the first preseason game at right tackle and then they moved him um, and it's okay. it, so he was he wasn't given a he's chance always been to properly prepare. Yeah, he he'd always been a little bit behind. So, and I so think flash forward to this season. This season, he he, he blew everybody away. They moved him to center, uh, at you know during OTAs, and he came in and was able to work on everything from the footwork to the timing to uh, you know all the little details from the very beginning. He had a full off-season program, training camp, everything in that position. And I think that's part of the reason why he did so well at uh, center when he did so poorly at guard. Because at guard, he was he never really had a chance to fully prepare to play the position. And so this year, he's a uh, we can extend him. Oh, definitely. You, you think that would be the thing that we should do while the market is soft for him? Yes, get, uh, get him under the fold for a three, four year deal. Yeah, this is this is the time they, they really need to extend him. He's their uh, he's their best offensive lineman. He's their most experienced offensive lineman. Uh, he's proven to be durable for the most part. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. He stepped up last year as a leader in the position meetings. Uh, he's a guy they can count on. I, I think they need to, to get him extended and make sure that there's some stability on that line. We can't keep doing this turnover thing every year. How, how do you pay him? How do you uh, value him uh, compared to the rest of the league? Do you think he's going to get a middle-of-the-road uh, top 10 center 
contract or he won't i mean he doesn't have that the history he's not like this isn't like an alex mack thing where he right. was where he's so do you, you think know, it's better for him then based on that that he would take a shorter term contract or do you think they could lock him up for three four years maybe i think they need to give find him, give him give him that money maybe throw him you know 12 million dollars guaranteed you know six and a half million a year type of a deal i wouldn't well six and a half seems a little high um, I was thinking more around the you know five ish range, but and then maybe make up for it with a with more guaranteed money. But the it, it kind of just depends on where the market where the market goes with the salary cap expanding so fast. Uh, yeah. Salaries are going up, so we kind of have that, to. I know. It has to kind of reestablish itself every year. So we'll see. But that's not. But we a, can expect him back in the fold. I I honestly think we can, and I think we should. That's that's the, the important part there. So where do you what do you think about Fant? I am. It's not. a good story. I mean, if you're a fan of football, oh, you gotta yeah. love George Fant's story. I mean, he played basketball in college. He played like what four or five plays, literally four or five snaps, as a tight end in college, and they found him at a you know a regional combine. Mm-hmm. I think is where they spotted this guy. They invited him in as an undrafted free agent, and the guy comes in and starts at left tackle. That's nuts. On a playoff team that won a that's, playoff that's, game. That's a really good story. I mean, whatever you want to say about Fant as a player, that's just a, a, a an amazing deal. Now, given the offseason uh, where he's got an opportunity to really improve, like you said, look at film, be in the weight room, put on a little bit more uh, weight without taking away any of his lateral quickness, he's got a chance to really be the most improved guy on the line, I think. He has. He definitely has a chance to do that. He's also a guy that I, I struggle to put faith in, because this isn't just a case. Sure, he started at left tackle for a playoff team, but he was genuinely terrible. Uh, I mean, he just struggled at, at every aspect of the game. Now there was thing. There are things there that you can work with. His feet, his footwork, his feet are fast for a guy his size. His feet are quick. Yeah, um, have you seen his body? I yeah. mean, be, be, before the, uh, the camp started last year, I saw a picture of him, like at his regional combine. He had his, you know, one of those uh, Under Armour outfits on, and the guy is just ripped. Yeah, you know, he does not look like a tackle. He doesn't. He he doesn't have that uh, that layer of fat that you you think of with the <laughs> the, the big uglies up front. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know what? And Gilliam's the same way. They're both they're. Both of them are fairly lean. low body fat, lean, just really strong, uh, muscular guy. You know that's a, that seems to be a guy that Cable mm-hmm. really wants to get that athletic guy that can get to the second level. Yep, and lead those those uh, zone blocking pulls. You know, and you got to hand it to him. The one thing you can do is we can take a look at the offensive line and say, you know, it's it's broken. We've got to throw money at it. We've got to throw players at it. We've got to fix it, but we've been to the playoffs five years in a row, two Super Bowls with one win, should have won another one. Is this overall scheme that John Schneider has orchestrated with throwing less money at the offensive line and more money at other key positions been a winning formula? And should it continue? It has been a winning formula. The results speak for themselves. The problem is, is that when they did win that Super Bowl, they had the most expensive offensive line in the NFL. Um, 
So and we, now it's the least expensive by a lot. By a lot. So you can't just say, oh, well, this, this formula that, that they have worked because they were using a different formula back when they won the Super Bowl. Um, and if you look at the team, the, with Earl Thomas healthy, and that's an a to- entirely other issue, but with Earl Thomas healthy, the defense was good enough last year for the Seahawks to um, win another Super Bowl. It was the offense, really the offensive line that held the team back. So, Well, and that that is really important. So how do you look at that in relationship to our window, to Russell Wilson's window, to Russell Wilson's health? How vital is it that we put a, at least a top 15 line together for this team to keep its window open? I, I think it's important because... Uh, as we saw, you know, defense, you know, when you've got a, a, a really dominant defense, like the 2013 defense, you can go win a Super Bowl um, with anything. I mean, the, the, the Ravens proved that in the past. Uh, Denver proved that a couple of years ago. Um, you can do that. But you still have to have a certain level of competency on on offense. And you can't have that if you're getting your quarterback killed. And that's what really what happened with Seattle last year is they just let Wilson get pummeled. And it, he, the ankle injury, the knee injury, the pec injury, all results of uh, what happens with, with with poor blocking and your $20 million quarterback. Right. The other aspect about that is that if you look at once Wilson started to get healthy later in the year, he was gun shy. His feet, he had, you know, happy feet way more than he used to in the past. He was bailing out of clean pockets on the rare uh, chance they got him. He was rushing his throws. Uh, well, the entire season, when you take a look at it, it was definitely a down season. I mean, he had his completion percentage was down, mm-hmm. his QBR was down, his uh, yards per attempt was, was down, mm-hmm. his sack percentage was down. His pressure percentage was down. I mean, it's a down year. Yeah, and and some of that uh, is because of the injuries. Some of that was because the pass blocking was the worst it's been for his career. And some of that was because that even when things were going right, he was rushing more than he should have because he was well, just so used to getting smacked. He was, there was there no were many trust. times. There were many times where you would be watching a play and literally – before he's even got his first foot dropped back, you've got push coming very hard against the line into the backfield and blowing up plays. I yeah. mean, how many plays last year did you watch where it was just blown up from the very start? Yeah, and the other thing which was really frustrating about all of that is that you never knew where it, where the mistake was coming from. Uh, if you look back at like at the 2013 year, when that line made a mistake, it was almost always on the right side. Uh, so when Wilson dropped back, he could, you know, kind of just watch out of the route. Well, he could watch out of the corner of his eye. And so if, if something is going to break down, it's going to be from over here. And so he, he would know that he'd know where his escape routes were and he, he had everything figured out. Um, this year, he you never knew. He dropped back. Is is the mistake coming from the left tackle? Is it coming from the right guard? Is it coming from the right tackle? You know, it, it, right. it, it the mistake could have come from anywhere. And so when he drops back, he just doesn't know, you know, where where that is. He doesn't know where his uh, his uh, running lanes are to to escape because he just doesn't know who's going to make the mistake because it could have been anyone. 
So given all that, though, was there any other uh, areas that you could point to that would give an indication of why he had a, a down year? No, not really. I mean, so you can fully expect him to bounce back this year, given a, a slight improvement or a, or a pretty decent improvement on the offensive line. Yeah, I do. I mean, uh, if there's one guy you can count on on the Seahawks team and kind of know what you're getting with a player, it's probably Russell Wilson. Absolutely. Uh, him and Doug Baldwin. You know, those are the two. You, you just always know that those guys are gonna they're gonna show up. They're gonna play well. Right. They're gonna. And they're going to perform. And, and even though Wilson had all those injuries, you know, he only missed a, what, a quarter or a quarter and a half of a game mm-hmm. where Boykin came in to, and uh, took over uh, that one game. I think he went out with a, with a knee. Oh, with a, yeah. And it wasn't even that long. He came, uh, came back and played and uh, it, it's amazing. You look at that, just the MCL injury itself. I've never yeah. seen, I've, I mean, I've never seen a quarterback come in and be willing to play through that much pain. I mean, Philip Rivers played with a torn ACL, but he's a he's a pocket passer. He's a statue, uh, even when healthy. So he drops back and and the, you know they protect him. Uh, yeah, Wilson I think a, he he did that on purpose. I really do. I think that Wilson did that on purpose to make a statement to that team that that it's his team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and not just to. Uh, the players, but also the management. Everybody knows that now this is Wilson's team. He's not, he's going to be the leader. He's going to be the guy that, that takes charge and, and does right. this. So. And I liked that. I really did. I didn't want to see him hurt, but boy, he really did step up. And you know what? I can't complain too much about his performance. He had over 4,000 yards. Um, do I wish it was a little bit more efficient? Yeah, I think it will be again, um, given a, a few changes. So let's briefly, and we're, we're going on time to where it doesn't look like we're probably going to get to the defense this week, but we will definitely pick that up again probably next week. But let's continue, though, on the offense, and let's take a look at, at Boykin. I mean, we've only got one backup. Here's an undrafted rookie comes in, he assumes the number two job on the team, and we're all crossing our fingers the entire year that he doesn't have to take over for three or four games because we don't know what we're going to get. So how do you feel about that spot? A year ago, I felt like panicky about that spot uh, because you got this undrafted rookie and you're, you know, one play away from him being the starting quarterback. And especially when in week one, you see Wilson go down with a, a pretty gruesome ankle injury, um, you know, and a couple of weeks later, he, you know, tears a, le- a knee ligament and you're like, oh, this is, this whole season's going to, going to, going to crash Implode. and burn. Um, right. Because you've got an undrafted rookie as your your backup quarterback, but he's now got a full year in the system. He's got a, had a chance to to learn to work with the coaches. Um, Did he show improve. you enough? He didn't play enough um, when he came in against San Francisco at the end of the year. Um, he, you know, he played pretty well that game. There was a, a little bit right when he first came in where he looked a little. Uh, nerve. Yeah, he. Had, but he, he again, undrafted rookie playing, you know, his first uh, extensive time. So, but he settled down in that game and made a yes, co- he did made a and couple he led of big a couple runs. Of yeah, uh, really ran the clock out for for the team and, and got him that win. And I, I felt pretty good about that. I have a hard time saying, "Oh, yeah, we're set," because it was of the competition. You know, I mean, San Francisco was terrible, so. It really is. Right. It's really hard to judge and go, oh, this kid can play because he wasn't playing against a good team. 
I do like the upside. I mean, I really do. I think that this, the Seahawks made a gamble, mm-hmm. and they are known to make a few gambles. Yep. This was a big gamble because of the weakness on the offensive line. They knew that there would probably be a, a chance if, if Wilson was going to get hurt, this would be the year because mm-hmm. that offensive line was horrible, and they knew it, and they knew it. And they kept Boykin, and they did not go out and get a uh, a veteran yeah. to come in and sit behind Wilson. And um, you know what? It may, it may end up paying off. One of the things I like about Boykin is he is physically similar to Russell. And you can it, run the same offense. He can, you can run the same offense. You can run you know, the read option. You can uh, put him on the edge and have him throw. You can drop him back and know that he can make some guys miss if he has to in order to buy time uh, to throw the ball. He, you know, he, does, he, he can run the Russell Wilson offense. And I think that was a, a smart choice by the team in a year when they knew the offensive line was going to be terrible. Because if you were to, had gone out and gotten a, you know, a journeyman backup, a, a Matt Flynn that sits type, in the pocket that sits that drops back and sits in the pocket, right. that player right. would have gotten <laughs> he would have gotten killed. Any other quarterback in our system yeah. would have gotten killed. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of guys that can do. I mean, Cam could probably have have survived in um, Seattle's offense. Uh, Dak Prescott yeah, probably maybe. Dak Prescott maybe. probably could have survived in Seattle's offense. And that's probably the end of the list right there. And that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's a tribute to mm-hmm. Russell Wilson. Absolutely. So moving on from the quarterback spot, let's talk about the tight ends really quick. Um, we briefly talked about Bennett. Let's go over to the, on the other side and talk about Graham. And let me read you something really quick about Graham. Jimmy Graham is at $10 million per year. And he caught, 30 TDs on 58 targets inside the 10-yard line from 2010 to 2014. 30 TDs on 58 targets, right? He's had two TDs on seven targets inside the 10-yard line in 2015 and 16. So let me read you one more thing. Paul Richardson has run 268 fewer routes than Graham in 2016, but has out-targeted him 4-2 to two inside the 10-yard line this year. What's going on with the connection between Wilson and Graham? If, is there something going on with Graham? Is it a bevel thing where they're not running the, the, the routes uh, where Graham is the number one option? What, what's happening? Okay, there's, there's a lot of different things here. Um, part of it is when the Seahawks call plays, especially you know, anywhere, but even in uh, – even within the the red zone, they don't call a play. Hey, this play is going to Jimmy Graham. They call a play. It's a you know they got three or four players out in patterns, and it's up to Russell Wilson to uh, get to the line of scrimmage, see what the defense is doing, and based on the defense versus his route combinations, it sets the here's this is the first target, here's the second target, here's and, the third. And the target. defense always gave Jermaine Curse. Oh yeah, <laughs> an opening because they knew, that, you know. He, I don't know. Yeah, and, that, well, and defenses were smart about that. They were like, okay, we're going to take away Jimmy Graham, and you saw him almost, almost every single play inside the red zone. He was double covered. There were a few, quite a few plays when he was triple covered um, with an extra safety, I and mean, they knew that the Seahawks wanted to go to Jimmy Graham, and they took it away, and that always left Jermaine Curse one on one. Well, Drew Brees, Drew Brees didn't care. 
Drew Brees made Jimmy Graham catch the ball. Yeah. He threw Jimmy Graham open. But, and that's something that Russell Wilson hasn't been willing to do. He hasn't been willing to throw to to a player who's covered just because he's six foot and, eight. And sometimes it's been, well, I'm not going to say sometimes. It's been frustrating because Russell Wilson has that ability. Oh, absolutely. But the part of that, it's the second half of this, is that um, with Jimmy Graham's knee injury from the 2015 season, he didn't practice all year. Uh, yep. He was there. He was quote unquote limited, but that meant that he would, you know, run a few routes in seven on sevens. But as soon as they were playing against the defense, he was on the sidelines and that wasn't just a training camp thing. It was all season. Uh, when he, him and Russell or him and I wasn't Russell, I think it was Doug Baldwin. We're talking at the uh, pro bowl. They were saying that Jimmy Graham net was never a full uh, participant in a, in a full practice. So a Wednesday and, and practice that's crazy. at any point all year. And, and that's so, crazy because here you are, you've got a pro bowl tight end, yeah. literally had a pro bowl season stat wise, mm-hmm. almost a thousand yards, yeah, 68 nine, catches or something, 942 like yards. And 942. it's, it's amazing to me. And he never you know. practiced. Right. So it's so, a tribute to, to Jimmy Graham. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, as he continues to get healthier, as he continues to build the strength back in that leg and in that knee, He'll practice more, and then I think once he practices more, him and and Russell will develop some of that chemistry where he's okay throwing him when he, you know throwing to him when he's covered. Yeah. So one last one, Wilson. Um, I, it, it seems like he's going to leave in free agency. All the signs point that he is. I think he's going to get more money than the Seahawks are willing to give him, given the the talent level and the performance that he's given the Seahawks. And I'm okay with that. I think that he probably should walk. Um, and we should probably go in a different direction. What do you think? Um, I would love to see him stay because you saw at the, kind of at the end of the year uh, the running game pick up a little bit. You know, there there were some times when when the running Seattle's running game wasn't as bad, um, and it was when Wilson was playing more. And he's not a great point of attack blocker. Like you're not going to put him, uh, you know, and run behind him. But he, he does little things for for the offense. He does all these, these they're called slice box blocks, where you see him cut a, against the grain behind the line of scrimmage and pick up a, a defensive end or a linebacker coming across. Um, some of those things, or you, you see him at the second level, because he's got really good movement skills. And, they and he's been fairly him. healthy. Yeah. He, I mean, he's okay. But, he's been dinged up, but you know what? Yeah. He's, he's been fairly healthy. Yeah, so... He does some of those things that they didn't have anyone else that could, they could do, and they missed that. So I would love to see him return, but I look at this situation very similar to uh, San Francisco when they let Delaney Walker leave, and he went to uh, Tennessee for that huge contract and had, has played very well for Tennessee. And I, I just think it's going to be a similar thing. He's a role player in Seattle. Right. There's a team. I see him as being a, a future fifth round comp pick. Yep. He's going to get it. He's going to get a big. Uh, contract to go be the starter somewhere and whichever team gets him is going to be happy with him. I think so. I think so. So let's go to the wide receivers and let's kind of run through the list. Um, Paul Richardson, let's, let's just do, you know, a minute on each guy and you tell me your thoughts, Paul Richardson. Richardson really broke out after Lockett got hurt. Uh, he was there was a lot of pressure on him to come in him to come in and replace Lockett, and he stepped up in a big way, and the offense kept rolling with him. And I think I that, was impressed. That was a very good sign. Uh, 
his ability to make tough catches and catches in traffic and through contact were that was like the question uh on him before his injuries like in his rookie year i mean he obviously has the speed and, and the hands and the routes but could well and he, that is the question yeah for him could is, he can can he keep the injuries away yeah because he's tiny he's just tiny <laughs> and i don't mean like just height i mean he's thin he's skinny uh, right, but I am looking forward to seeing him have more opportunities. Yeah, and he's earned them. He he definitely Absolutely. earned them this year. How about Jermaine Curse? I think it was got a, a big contract last year. It would, and that was a mistake. There was no reason for them to re-sign him. Uh, I know he's popular uh, locally because he played for the Huskies and and all of he's that. He's made some big catches in the franchise history. He has some um, of the biggest, actually, like the. NFC Championship game against the that Packers. was an amazing catch, yep. amazing. It was, it, it but really since was. then, it's all been downhill. Well, and even before then, it wasn't necessarily uphill. Uh, well, he dropped five passes or six passes in a row, right mm-hmm. before that Bef- catch. Before that catch, and and three of them bounced off his hands into <laughs> um, into pack for for interceptions. So he's under contract, though. So what we, what can we expect going forward with him? I think what we're going to expect from him is what we saw at the end of the year. Uh, the Seahawks finally started to recognize that, okay, this isn't working. They love him on the practice field and some of his work ethic and, you know, some of that, those things, but out on so the field. So instead of wide receiver number three, he's probably getting pushed back to number five. Uh, I don't think it's five, but I, I could see him, you know, in that three on in some weeks and four in others. I just see that the, the team taking what they've got in him and using him more situationally and not having him out there as the starter. Cause he was the start. He was the wide receiver too, almost all right. year. And well, let me, let me tell you, uh, let me give you a name of a guy. I think that might jump him this year and that's Tanner McAvoy. So talk about Tanner. I hope so. Uh, Tanner is, he was a quarterback in college. He was a safety in college. He played a little he's bit of six, wide receiver. six, two thirty. Yeah, I mean he's big and he runs really well. I mean, this is a kid that's really athletic, and he's got good hands. He, physically, he's got all the all the tools. And now the question is, can he learn um, to run routes and run and uh, you know set up cornerbacks? And what do and you really think about Tanner McAvoy taking Wilson's spot at tight end? He's a little, uh, at least the touches. He's. For him, to, okay. If you take if he takes the passing, the routes, I, I would be okay with that. With his height and his ability to move and that kind of stuff, you know, he's always going to probably be matched up with a linebacker mm-hmm. or a, or a strong safety. So he's he could have a lot of success. He could have matchup success. Absolutely. Yeah. But what he isn't going to be able to do is to block. He's he's not big enough. He isn't strong enough. That that isn't what he's going to be able to do. And so the stuff that Wilson does. Um, in the running game, you know, those, those slice blocks and that kind of stuff. You're never going to get that from, uh, from McAvoy. But what, if you're doing this, if you're doing it right, Jimmy Graham's not in there blocking a lot. He's lined up in the slot and I could see, I could see McAvoy being Jimmy Graham's backup in that role, uh, where he's lining up in the slot and, and doing those things. And I could see him, uh, taking Jermaine Curse's role on the outside and being kind of that possession receiver. Uh, you know, I think it's up to Pete Carroll and and Bevel to uh, get the best talent on the field. Yep. You know, and if that that guy was targeted, you know, uh, only a few times in the year, but man, he made the best of those opportunities. Yeah, he had one bad drop uh, all year, and for some reason, fans seem to remember that uh, and not 
all of the, you know, he made some great catches. He um, did, and he can high point the ball. Yeah, you know, and that's and, and that skill is a skill that we don't have with any other wide receiver on the team. Yep, and at six six, save maybe Doug Wal- Doug Baldwin can get up, at, and he's only five ten, but Doug Baldwin can get up, but. You know, at six six, you've got quite an advantage right off the bat. Oh yeah. So let's talk about um, Doug Baldwin. He had another really solid year. Oh yeah, it, Baldwin remains one of the more underrated players in the NFL. He is, um, he's other than being tall, he's everything you want from a wide receiver. He's quick. He's fast. He's got great hands. He high points the ball well. He runs great routes. He he runs superb routes, and he has since his rookie year. Uh, he does a great job of just making life really hard on cornerbacks uh, in, in every way. He, and he does, you know, the improvisation imp, improvisational stuff with Wilson. You know, when Wilson yes. has to escape, he they've got that connection, and and he he seems to know how to get to the spot where Wilson wants him and needs him. Uh, Honestly, the CX did the right thing by paying Baldwin, and I hope that when his, this current contract is up, they pay him again because he is he is a, uh, a complete core member of of Seattle's team. Last one, Tyler Lockett. Oh, that injury was gruesome. Uh, it was it's it's hard to talk about because that's just painful to, to, to think about. Lockett is as talented a guy as the Seahawks have on offense. I mean, I know he's and not I, he's not tall, but he he is actually physically in terms of speed and quickness and those things better than Baldwin. Um, he can do anything you want him to do on offense, and he runs great routes. And yes, he's, he he's learning from uh, Baldwin, mm-hmm. you know, on on running even more precise routes. And I think he's learning to do that ad lib thing with Wilson. And you know, yep. that one two punch, you know, hopefully Lockett yep. will be back full strength. He he says he will. He says he's going to be back right at, at the beginning of camp. Yep. You know, we'll see how that goes. Whether Pete Carroll's always cautious, letting guys ease back into the situation, but I expect him to be back game one. I hope so. I, and I mean that the it's just hard. I just I see it in my head uh, with the way his leg was was kind of just flopping around there at the end of that play, and it just makes me Ish. you know cringe a little bit. I mean it's it was bad, and so I hope they don't rush him back. Give him a chance to to rebuild the strength and everything and, and feel confident in that leg because he, as you said, he was um, just, he's a tremendous player and you don't want to ruin him. You want him to come back and be a hundred percent of what he was before the injury. I agree. So we'll probably see him play mm-hmm. 10, 15 snaps in the preseason. What yeah. do you want to bet? I, that's at the most. Um, so, I was going to say, I, 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 don't, I don't expect to see him much until week one. And then it's going to be kind of a Jimmy Graham situation from a year ago where, you know, Graham only played 10 snaps in week one and then um, they, they incremented him up. And they can do that yeah. if Paul Richardson's healthy. Yeah, yes, they can. So let's quickly move to the uh, running backs and fullbacks. So there's really only one guy I want to talk about at fullback, and that's Marcel Reese. He came in late in the season. Boy, where did that guy come from? I mean, he was one bright spot that we had back there that seemed to be a consistent thing that I hope they can bring him back. For some reason, Pete Carroll and John Schneider have a really hard time paying fullbacks. 
Yeah, they and, and, they just don't value they don't value the position. No. They they but think, once they're here, they show that they're really important. Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, the guy they wanted the, the the person on the roster who was going to be the starting fullback was Brandon Cotton, a uh, former yes. tight end, and he you know I mean this that kid's athletic and can run, and they really liked what he could do, and then he tore his Achilles tendon um, in training camp, and so he will be back. Uh, yes. But whether or not he's back at full speed, because that's an injury that takes an extra year. Um, well, to he's going to have almost a full year to recover, so we'll see. I, you know, I fully anticipate he will be in camp. Yeah, so he'll be there, you know, given a chance to play, and then after that, we'll, you know, we'll have to see where, where they go. I'm sure they'll bring in, you know, um, undrafted guys, some, or yeah, or, or you know, some street free agents, and you know, give them a chance at <laughs> at, right. uh, at the job. But I don't expect so, them to pay anyone, and I don't expect them to pay Reese. I mean, Reese was there and available for a month. Actually, two, right. two months before they finally right. brought him in. So right, right. So quickly, let's run down the the uh, running back list like we did the wide receivers. Um, and we had a lot of people run the ball for the Seahawks this year. It was 17. really tough. Yeah, there it was. Seven, it was really tough. Yep, seventeen players had at least one carry for the Seahawks but, last year. But let's go over kind of the, you know the top six. So mm-hmm. let's talk about Tremaine Pope a little bit. He really showed in the preseason last year. They cut him, brought him back. Thoughts. Um, I am not as sold on Pope as most fans are. Uh, I, there's some things to like, uh, but he is a guy that I would trust more in a third down role. I don't want him running between the tackles. He's not a big guy. He's not, uh, five, nine, two Oh five. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of power, but he's got good hands and some good quickness, but he doesn't fit the Seahawk mold and what they look for in a halfback. So, uh, to me, he's the guy who's coming in as, as, He's the backup at um, the th- for the third down role, and so unless an opening um, comes up where they need a, him, he's a, he'll last through the training camp, and then you know, kind of hopefully they get goes. him back onto the um, the practice squad. So here's uh, I'm going to give you two two uh, USC guys, Trey Madden and George Farmer. Um, I don't have any. Belief. Desire to I see those. I, I don't have any belief in either one of them. Um, they really like George Farmer. They do, and his best. And they've pos- tried him at all sorts of different positions. His best position, from what I've seen him play in practice and training camp, is cornerback. Right. Um, and but when they had all of those injuries at running back in the preseason, they needed him, and he's a great athlete, and he played some wide receiver, so they moved him, and. They even used him in you know the regular season in the third down role because he played some wide receiver, but he's really just not good in those roles. He lacks, you know, kind of the instincts. Yeah. And, no, he was definitely just a placeholder. I mean, we literally were looking for bodies at that point. Yep. So how about uh, somewhat disappointment early came on late, Alex Collins. You know, I really like Alex Collins. I know that he they he put on some weight because they kind of wanted him to have. Uh, more power and that kind of stuff, and and he lost his quickness, and you know coming out of college, his the, the selling point on him was he had these like I mean these really fast feet. Uh, the whole thing where he, you know, the videos of him river dancing and and doing that, and then you could <laughs> right. see it in some of his college tape just how quick <laughs> his feet were, and that was gone when he put on that weight. So he over the course of the season he lost that those that fifteen pounds that he'd put back on. Um, and gained his quickness back. And we started to see at the end of the year, he started to come on and play better. I think part of it also is that he he learned to read his blocks better. 
and which is you have to do in Seattle well, skiing. And, so, and you're right. Pete Carroll did say that he came into camp out of shape. And of course, you know, we don't normally hear about those things until later. And mm-hmm. sure enough, that was it. Yep. So I, I think he's I think he's gonna be fine. I never I don't think he's ever gonna be a star. I mean, this isn't a guy that will uh you know, light teams up like Marshawn Lynch used to, but he is I don't a, think we need him to be a star. No. We just we need know, someone who's really. gonna be steady. The one thing that he was all year was healthy. And nobody else in the backfield you can say that about. So You know, I, if he can back up Thomas Rawls, that's all I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, a guy that can have 60, 70 touches, maybe a little bit more uh, throughout the year mm-hmm. and um, give you a guy that's steady, that can at least not fumble the ball, which is an issue for him sometimes. Sometimes. And in fact, the only times really Pete Carroll took him out of games after he fumbled. So we'll see. We'll see about him. How what about a, Thomas Rawls? Well, I'm going to say one more thing about Collins. At the start of the year when everyone was hurt and Christine Michael was the starter, Alex Collins was the third down back. So they trusted him in pass blocking and, and in some of those roles. Um, and, okay, when when players who were more suited for that came on, they took over for him, and he just slid into that backup uh, running role. But he can do the things they need as a third down back. He can do the things they need as the uh, first and second down back. He's a perfect guy to have as a backup because of his versatility. Okay, uh, Thomas Rawls. If you watch 2015, you know Thomas Rawls has all the talent to be the guy. Uh, he led the entire NFL in yards per carry. And he's got those skills, but he's never made it through a season healthy. Not in Seattle, his both of his years where he's missed a lot of games. Um, not in college, uh, both at C- Central Michigan and before that at Michigan. Uh, he's never made it through a season healthy. And that is a major concern going forward because he has to be able to show that he can carry the load and not for six games or eight games, but for at least 14 every year. And this is meant to be the identity of our offense. Mm -hmm. We want to run the ball. And I would imagine that Pete Carroll and and, uh, Cable and... All those guys, Schneider, looking for somebody that they can count on. Whether it's Rawls, they believe he's going to be healthy. Precise coming back. Collins, you know, bring another guy into the mix. They've got to find a way that they can bring a guy in that's going to stay healthy to give them some continuity this year. Yeah. I mean, I having Rawls as Marshawn's backup, I think, was great because he was he's such a uh, such he's such a dynamic talent. But they didn't count on him for, you know, 25 touches a game all season. You know, they, were, they weren't looking at him for that. Well, they certainly did this year. Yeah. I mean, they, that's kind of what they wanted, but they didn't get it because, you know, he was a little slow getting back from his ankle injury. And that's fine. He was broken ankle with torn ligaments. I mean, it was going to take him a while. Uh, but he came back and instantly broke his leg and then missed a bunch of time and then came back. And it was a, it was a while for him to get going on that. And even then, he never fully made the most of what was there. I mean, at the end of the season, Alex Collins was the better running back. He, or let's so say he was going, the more productive running back. Going forward, again, they're in the same boat that they were last year. Yes. Can they count on Thomas Rawls to be the number one back going into 2017? I don't think they can. He has the talent, but they need uh, they need option one B in case he gets hurt again. 
Where do we get option 1B? I think option 1B right now is CJ Procise. The problem is, is that CJ Procise has exactly the same problem. How many, how many injuries did Procise have that caused him to miss games? How many, injur- how many times, how many games did both Procise and Rawls miss at the same time? Way too many. Way uh, too many. I mean, that's a... That was why Christine... It's a, it's a Christine great idea. Christine Michael led the uh, Seahawks in uh, attempts, uh, yards, and touchdowns last year. And he's not... He wasn't even on the roster uh, after, what was it, week nine? Uh, because Procise and Rawls just could not stay healthy. Now, check that out. So everything that you just said, and yet we are still... A pretty amazing offense, all things considered. You know, I, I did some some research into that, and let me let me pull up this article that I wrote. Um, and by the way, we're at a minute three, okay. or, at, or an hour three, just so you know. <laughs> this is going to be a long podcast, the first one, because we just had so much to talk about. Yeah. Okay, so um, I didn't realize we were that long into this. So I was, I'm just going to roll down some of these. Uh, some of these fun little factoids that I, I pulled out um, from yesterday. And so the Seahawks, we, we like to think of this offense that it was just terrible, right? It was, it was bad. It was what held back the, the, the team. If the offense had been better, you know, they would have had a, been more of a Super Bowl contender. Um, and so we have this kind of idea in our heads that this was one of the worst offenses in the NFL. And it really wasn't. It was average. Um, they were 15th in yards per drive, 15th in the league in points per drive, um, 18th in the league in touchdowns per, per drive. So it was, this is not as good as it had been in the past. It's definitely down, but this is an average, um, an average group. It was 16th in third down percentage, which seems kind of remarkable because that was definitely their thing. And Um, there were a few games, Keith, where we had our health. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Russell Wilson was relatively healthy. We had a Thomas Rawls. Precise was in there for a few games, and we we looked pretty good. Yeah, especially the Precise games, as few as those were. Um, you know, it, some of these other things, you look at, uh, I mean, Wilson had a down year is in his passing, right? I mean, we can all, we can all agree on that. We said it earlier that it, it, a down year, definitely. Um, but he, the team was still 10th in passing yards, even though this is a low volume passing attack and they were sixth in yards per pass attempt. Uh, um, well, we were a low volume passing attack. I mean, yeah, we ran the, we, we ran what? 55, 56% of our plays were passing plays this year. Yeah. So they, they were, they were throwing more, but they, they still weren't throwing. This is, this isn't new Orleans. This isn't, um, you know, green Bay, some of those teams that throw the ball a lot. It's, uh, they're, they're still, they're still considered a low volume passing attack. So, so overall, Keith, what can we expect from the offense in 2017? I think we're going to see them, uh, regress, but, and I'm going to say that not as a downward twin tend, which is how we most likely, uh, use it, but they're going to regress back towards their own average, which in this case is going to be an improvement. Uh, we're going to see improvement on the, on the line, uh, just experience and, and, uh, you know, the, even if they bring back the same five guys from last year, they'll be better. They won't be good, but they'll be better, um, as a unit and that will help. Wilson will be healthy, uh, Hopefully they can get more out of the running game. And so I, I think we're going to see them uh, 
work their way back up towards what had been the average over the last couple of years, uh, you know, and what they what they do as a team. Right. And I think that's just standing pat. They get they get a little better. They, they get you a know, little we've, better. We've got free agency where we could bring one or two guys in, maybe mm-hmm. maybe a running back, maybe an offensive lineman or two, maybe a tight end. Um, you know, we just don't know at this point, but those are all options that are probably on the table for the Seahawks. And then the defense, you know, I think we'll get to the defense next week. The defense is going to improve. I think the defense has kind of uh, come down over the last two or three years just from attrition Mm -hmm. and the talent level just isn't where it was in 2013. I think they're going to probably spend some draft capital on that defense this year to kind of change that equation a little bit. So we can talk about that next week. This uh, is going to wrap up the podcast for the most part, but before we wrap it up, we're going to take a couple of quick uh, Seahawks mailbag questions that Keith has got. Okay. So the first question is, um, is this the year that we finally see the Seahawks start to make their draft picks that will be the transition for the Legion of Boom? As in, are we going to start seeing them replace Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas specifically? What do you think? Yes, I do. I have been thinking this this offseason since the season ended that, you know what? Thomas is not a young guy anymore. And the way that he plays and throws himself around, he's susceptible injury. And he's shown that he's been injured two years in a row. And... He's said out loud that he had seriously contemplated retirement. And here we are, and we do not have anybody even remotely close on the team that is capable of taking his place. So, yes, we do need to have a legitimate free safety backup for Earl Thomas. And I think the best way to get that guy is in the draft so that he can, uh, Earl Thomas can mentor that guy. And uh, for nothing else, we've got a really nice backup at that spot. As far as Chancellor is concerned, yeah, Chancellor's in this kind of the same boat. I think that we're going to give a little bit of money to Cam Chancellor. Maybe, hopefully this year he'll get his uh, extension. I think that would be a wise move. But also we need to hedge Chancellor as well because he is uh, susceptible to getting injured as he gets older, especially the way he plays. And uh, so I do think that we bring in somebody there. And then we've talked about uh, needing a corner. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think the, the, the hard part here is Earl Thomas because there is one Earl Thomas. There uh, is one Earl Thomas, and and finding a second Earl Thomas is kind of impossible because if there were more than one Earl Thomas, everyone would want the other one. Um, all the other teams in the, the NFL. The, the so. problem, Keith, with Earl is that the Seahawks are highly scheme dependent on Earl Thomas. Yeah, they are. We saw that when he got hurt. There just there right. is no one who can replace him. So, so, you know, quickly look at our other corners. You know, we've got Lane that uh, is coming back. We've got uh, Shed, who's coming off a major injury. Nico Thorpe you know, uh, is a is a restricted free agent. You've got uh, DeAndre Elliott, who I like, but, you know, he was an undrafted free agent. Right. Um, and and, that's, then, and that's, we've got Sherman. And that's it for the guys that... 
uh, played last year. And then there's a couple of guys. Uh, we'll do this more next week when we talk about the defense. But they've got a right. couple. They've got a couple of guys that were that didn't play. One was hurt. Um, Stanley Jean Baptiste, and then another guy that was on the practice squad, uh, Pierre Desir. And both of those guys have skills and talent. So we'll see. But none of none of that group jumps out and you go, oh, well, you know, that's our starter. That's that's right. the next guy. Well, we, and Shed's not guaranteed to come back. So yeah. You've got to throw something at that spot. Yeah. So so you look at you look at those three spots. I mean, I, they're not going to go anywhere with Sherman, uh, even though with all the off-field stuff last year, they're not going to do anything to that. But, you know, they have to get a backup for Earl. They, they really need to start looking at what they want to do uh, with Cam Chancellor and possibly replacing him. And they have to get uh, some depth at cornerback. So I think the answer to um, Jeff's question is yes, definitely, because they have to start looking at those three spots and, and finding some new bodies on the um, on the Legion of Boom. Okay, question two, uh, and this one's for you mostly, is pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? <laughs> I surprisingly, not maybe not surprisingly, I love Hawaii. In general, like when I get a chance to go on vacation to Hawaii or something, I am literally, that's my spot. I'm just happy. So in uh, celebration of that, I do like pineapple on pizza, usually combined with pepperoni and uh, 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 ham, Canadian bacon, and uh, usually some green peppers. That's, that's my pizza. Yeah. How about you? I I can't I can't agree with you on that. I'm not a yeah. I'm not a pineapple on, on pizza person. So uh, my son is just a cheese and pineapple guy. See, that's just weird. See, when I, <laughs> I when I, when I was a kid, and I agree. When I was a kid, I liked pineapple on pizza. I think it was just because it's sweet, and kids have a tendency towards wanting sweet things. But as I've grown older and taken liking of things like coffee and beer that are more on the bitter side of things. I find that I can't even get near a pineapple on pizza. It's just gross. So, and, and I like pineapple by itself too. It's one of my favorite, favorite fruits. So, so thank you very much for those questions. Keep them coming. Those are awesome. We're going to wrap up the show today. Um, next week, look out on your own time for the NFL combine. We always enjoy that. We'll have some information on the podcast next week's about the first couple of days of that, uh, going forward. And then, um, you can find us on Twitter is the best place to do that. I'm at Northwest Seahawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. And you can also look for us at our, um, podcast Twitter page at Hawks playbook. And, do you have anything else to add before we head out? Nope. We'll be back next week to do the same thing to the defense that we did today with the offense. And maybe we can pare it down just a little bit and get, get through the episode a little quicker. We want to each week. We want to try to get through in about 45 minutes. We think that's a pretty good time today. We went an hour and 15 mm-hmm. and that's probably just a little long. So All right. it was good to uh, hook up. Our first podcast is out of the way and we'll have many more to go. So thanks Keith. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks. And thanks for listening everyone. Take care. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and 12thManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. 